listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 372. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me this week is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. Hallo! See ya and hey son, hey son. <laughs> we don't have any Andras today. He is, yeah. uh, we have put him away in a hotel yes. somewhere, mm -hmm. probably Malaysia. Well, we haven't. He, he, he does that to himself. <laughs> <laughs> like Somehow. We didn't put him there. You yeah. know that, dear listeners, you know he's traveling a lot and uh, mm -hmm. again today. So it's just the two of us. Mm. trying to keep the ship running. I think we mm, will exactly. succeed. At least that's our working hypothesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like during our tour in Australia, I think he was the only one that didn't suffer any exhaustion because he's just used to it. Well, or it's just his normal state. We haven't seen him rest exactly. at any time. Exactly. <laughs> that's my secret. I never rested. I never sleep. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think we should again mention uh, QED. Mm -hmm. QED is coming up. Question, explore, discover in Manchester, September. What are the dates, Annika? I forgot. Look 23rd it up. to 24th this yes, year. <laughs> that's right. 23rd to 24th. Be there a couple of days in advance, but there's always mm -hmm. a few unofficial things happening. Skeptics in the pub, there's Skepti Camp on Friday. I'm sure of it. They haven't announced it, but I'm sure it usually is. You can't buy your ticket yet, but uh, you could start planning your vacation days or whatever you have to do to be there because you have to go. It's fantastic. And I've already started packing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I didn't pack yet <laughs> yeah. because there will still be Skepcon before that. Oh, yes. So I'm not packed yet, <laughs> but I'm excited for all things coming this year. <laughs> what, what are the dates for Skepcon? Skepcon will be on the 18th to 20th of May in Frankfurt. Ooh, soon coming up it's just little over a month yeah in Saalbau Gallus <laughs> this is the that is location what? oh is that a hotel or is it uh, a that's it's a place it's a building it's a building okay so the great <laughs> news here up. you heard it here first Skepcon will be indoors <laughs> okay so yeah but it will be exciting so hmm. um that in May QED in September we, we have our fun set up for us <laughs> mm, that's good I just want to mention Out of the blue, uh, no particular segue or anything, but it just annoyed me. I saw today there was a city in Sweden that are going to celebrate mm -hmm. Men's Day because uh, well, there's okay. a Women's Day, so they have to have a Men's Day because in, in the name of equality. Mm -hmm. And I just want to... It makes me so mad because men are already more than equal. You don't have to celebrate them. They already have the best jobs, the highest salaries, everything. Mm -hmm. If you talk about inequality, it is about the people that are somehow oppressed or have less than others. So there's no reason to celebrate Men's Day. There's no risk anytime soon that men will be a forgotten minority with uh, problems so uh, don't do that don't flag for men's day or whatever yeah. they call it yeah, yeah it's if like every day wouldn't be our day <laughs> like every day is men's day that's the thing yeah except for maybe mother's day <laughs> okay mother's day i give you that <laughs> But father's that's day it's okay i guess <laughs> Yeah, I've got one more thing that I just uh, want to mention, and that is oh, Skeptics yeah. in the Pub Cologne is back. <laughs> ah, Köln, right? Yeah, Köln, yes. Köln. 
Um, they've never went, I should say, we, we've never uh, gone anywhere. But of course, during the pandemic, it was mostly an online thing. Mm. And now the actual in-person talks and pub meetings are back. It starts on the 12th of April at 7.30 in Herbrats in Cologne, as where it always was. It will be um, a talk by Sebastian Schmalz, and it will be about electrosmog. Electrosmog. Yes. Interesting. Interesting so, stuff. Yeah. So anyone who's close to Cologne, it will be in German. But yeah, if you're close to Cologne, just come by and we'll, mm. we'll be happy to see you. Mm. I actually remember now that I have to mention one thing that happened to me this weekend, last weekend, as you hear this. I met with Ian Bryce, who is an Australian skeptic. He has been, I think he was there almost when Randy went to, did his first round of Australia. Uh, or if he wasn't, he was there just a few years later. He has be, He's in charge of the prize, the challenge, the skeptics challenge to psychics and other frauds <laughs> <laughs> who claim that they can do anything paranormal. If you want to be tested and win the 100,000 Australian dollars, this is the guy you talk to and he helps you set up all the things. So he's on a trip in uh, Europe. Uh, he has relatives here. And he came by in Malmo just the other day, and we had uh, dinner together. It was great, together with a few others. He will also stop by in uh, Gothenburg. So, Ian, if you he hear this, it was very nice meeting with you again, because we met in Australia last uh, autumn. And uh, please come again if you want <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> hmm? It's it's funny because in the beginning we said we don't really have anything to say in the greetings and now we had so much to say. <laughs> yeah, we never stop talking, right? We never stop talking now and we also shouldn't. We should check if there's a twish. And there's not. <laughs> and there's no twish because there's no Andres this week. <laughs> Andres, we need you. We need twish. So please come back soon. And mm -hmm. without further ado, we then should go over and check if there's a Pontus that can poke the Pope for us. Yes, there is. He is yes. right here. So, luck to <laughs> <Woo>. you, Annika. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things. First, a quick health update. Frankie spent three nights in hospital last week. He's 86 years old, so that may not be so surprising. But everybody, of course, starts thinking about, what, is he dying now? Is he dying? Turns out it wasn't too bad. He was diagnosed with bronchitis. He got some uh, IV. We talked about IV the other day, but he got, um, what do you call that? Antibiotics through an IV. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it, apparently it worked. So he's back again. And uh, as he left the hospital, he replied, I am still alive to the questions <laughs> of the reporters there. As if there was a question about that. Mm -hmm. He was actually walking. So back on his duties and he's poping along just as before. He has a little bit of health issues. He has sciatica, which makes it hard for him to walk, actually. Mm. And uh, lately he had some minor relapse, apparently, of the colon condition that he had that forced him to have some minor surgery in 2021. So... He won't last forever, but he's still up and about. All right. The other big thing that happened uh, this week, or last week, I should say, is um, something about the doctrine of discovery. Uh, we've talked about this before. There were a number of so-called papal bulls or papal communications that was taken as a carte blanche to go out and colonize the world and convert the so-called heathens and uh, do bad stuff to them. 
And especially one was written in 1493. This was by Pope Alexander VI. So this was just after Columbus, just a year after. And um, it was taken as, yeah, well, it endorsed slavery and all kinds of things. Not explicitly, but it was taken to that uh, effect. Very problematic, of course, and many expected Francis to redact these bulls as part of his trip last year to Canada, when he was going and met, met with the indigenous peoples of Canada. And he did go there and he did apologize, but he didn't actually say anything about this doctrine of discovery, and he was criticized for that. But last week, the Vatican issued a statement to distance the church from these bulls. And this was hailed as a great thing. I mean, it only took them for 500 years or something, more than that. So that was celebrated by some, and I have tried to read, not the actual wording, but I read the references of them, and there were some quotes, and I am far from impressed. What the Vatican says now is that these 15th century papal bulls, quote, did not adequately reflect the equal dignity and rights of indigenous peoples, end quote, and have never been considered expressions of the Catholic faith. What did they just say? They say it wasn't adequately reflecting the equal dignity. That is very much an understatement, if mm -hmm. I've ever heard mm -hmm. one. <laughs> We go out and kill these people, and that's not exactly reflecting the equal dignity. No, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And then it has never been considered expressions of the Catholic faith. Well, it was written by bloody popes, wasn't they? <laughs> so they're trying it, it to wasn't deny us. it wasn't that us. it wasn't. It wasn't that. First of all, it wasn't us, and second of all, we didn't mean to, and third of all, we won't do it again. Something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the Vatican goes on to say that these documents have been quote-unquote manipulated for political purposes by colonial powers to quote, justify immoral acts against indigenous peoples that were carried out at times without opposition from ecclesial authorities, end quote. So they're saying sort of it was not us, it was the colonial powers who did it. However, the church didn't protest too much. So they admit that at least. So then they say it was right to now, quote, recognize these errors, end quote, acknowledge the terrible facts of colonial era assimilation policies on indigenous people and ask for their forgiveness. If you parse that last part carefully, what they say is it is right to ask forgiveness. They don't say that we apologize, we the church apologize, and sort of implying that it is the colonial powers it would be right for them to apologize, mm -hmm. not for us. <laughs> so uh, come on, Frankie. I know you've been a little bit ill, but you can do better than that. <laughs> I think this yeah. was a pretty shameful uh, non-apology apology. apology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, non-apology. <laughs> yeah, non-apology. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, stay tuned for next week and mm -hmm. see if he does better then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Pontus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you. That means we should just go over to the news. And I want to talk about a topic that concerns basically humankind, also non-basically, it just con it concerns humankind, period. And that is the climate crisis. Hmm. Something that happened about a week ago is that Swiss women are taking the Swiss government to court because mm -hmm. of climate change. 
And now you might think like, what? <laughs> yes, um, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but I actually was like, hmm, it's actually not uh, not a bad idea. Um, it's more than 2,000 women that are taking their government, and that is the Swiss government, to court claiming that the Swiss policy on climate change is violating their right to life and health. And which court are they taking the government to? Well, the European Court of Human Rights. Because it's basically, you have to go to a European level if you want to take your own government to court, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But that also follows six years of battles through the Swiss courts. So they were They've doing that it for nationally. A while. Yeah, exactly. Nationally first. The thing is that in Switzerland, the temperatures are rising faster than the global average. There are more frequent heat waves. That's probably like we can think of reasons because they're mostly mostly in the mountains, right? So, mm. I don't, like I don't know much about geography and about climates and stuff. But even for me, it's like if the snow melts, then the rock probably takes in the heat a bit fa faster. That's the one thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, yeah, I think that just like they would just feel it more, that it's more sensitive in that in that area. But it's also that when glaciers disappear, they stop reflecting the light. Yes, exactly. So they don't so have the cool down effect. There's a effect. fancy name for that I can't remember yeah. at the moment, but it becomes warmer because the the dark rock yeah. is absorbing mm -hmm. the, the heat. Yeah, it's absorbing. Than... It's not neutral. It's like absorbing instead of reflecting. Yes. From minus to plus instead of from minus, minus to neutral. So... <laughs> Um, hmm. That's why, yeah, that's probably one of the reasons why they're suffering more. And um, they say, and I quote one of the campaigners called Elisabeth Stern, she said, due to climate change, we have more heat waves and older women suffer more. They die more often during these heat waves than they otherwise would, end quote. That's something I, I, don't, I can't completely follow because it's like, yes. Climate change does have impact on public health, but mm. I don't see that it will always be women, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. I mean, elderly. It I will be elderly, yes, but it probably there's yes. not no reason to. I don't think there's evidence that it's only women or that women are targeted more by that. Um, Are you sure that there's no evidence about um, that? Did it say? Well, in the article that I read, they say the Swiss government says, yes, climate change can affect health, but it cannot uh, be tied specifically to all the ah. women's health. Okay, um, I understand. I mean, I could see the reason if you if you keep in mind that women usually live a bit longer than men in, in, in mm. on average. Mm. Then I can see that like the oldest of a population would be women then, if you keep that in mind. And then, of course, they would suffer more because they're the oldest. <laughs> could be, could be, yeah. But that probably needs more, more research and more evidence from my side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, if the women are successful, then this will set a precedent mm. for every European state. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, like from my side of things, I'd like the idea. Because mm -hmm. we did see more extreme temperatures. We saw more wildfires in the last years. We are seeing rising temperatures. But of course, even if Switzerland, even if they would win and not only get like compensated with a bit of money or so, but if the Swiss government would really implement big changes, they're one state surrounded by a lot of other states. Yeah. <laughs> so like we would all need to implement these changes and then... It's helpful. But of course, if we all take our government to court for that, then it might help, you know? Yeah. And it has happened mm -hmm. in other countries as yeah. well. I, I remember Netherlands has happened and they lost, the government lost. Mm -hmm. So they, that was, re and, and there's been, on, I can't remember without looking it up, I don't know which other, but there are more than, more countries than mm -hmm. that. 
I was just curious again about this legal situation, more the legal mm-hmm. legality of it. Yeah. If you single out one part of the population, mm-hmm. in this case, older women, mm-hmm. then they can take the government to court. Does that mean that if it, everybody is hit alike, then nobody can take you to, to court or everybody can do it? It's, it's strange mm-hmm. that, uh, that distinction, mm-hmm. but interesting to see how it, it goes. Mm-hmm. But I think like children that are or like children and teenagers that are usually marching in Fridays for Future or so, they mm-hmm. could also totally take governments to court because they're like, if, if you want to make the single out, singling out thing, because they're like, yeah, we're, we're losing our childhood. Like, we won't have as peaceful an, an adulthood right. <laughs> as our parents and grandparents had because we are fucking things up. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll see what happens and we'll keep you updated. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, we have talked before about how hard it is to tell when somebody is lying. Mm-hmm. And we have also talked about polygraphs, uh, lie detectors, that is, and how they basically don't work. And this is basically because most traditional ways to try to see if a person is lying is to focus on if they are nervous or not. And as we know, people can be nervous when telling the truth, and some people are not nervous when lying. And on top of it all, sometimes people believe that they are telling the truth when they are in fact lying. So it seems like an impossible task to reveal who is the liars. But there is another approach that may help. And that was very interesting to me. Maybe it's not a new idea because the facts behind it are rather well known, but I haven't thought about it. So what am I thinking about? What am I talking about? A study from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands took another approach to expose liars. It is a fact that if you are lying, you are less likely to mention a lot of details. This is quite natural, because if you make things up, it's hard work to make up minor details that are maybe not important for the actual story you're trying to present. And also, it makes it harder to be consistent. So if you're a good liar, you know not to add a lot of details, because it will be harder to tell the same story again later on, because it will be more to remember. So you want you want to keep it simple. But on the other hand, if you are telling the truth, it's very common for people to mention a lot of unnecessary details because they occur to you when you talk about it. And there's no problem with mentioning them. It's easy to remember them because they're there and they're true. And when you're talking to somebody, you may just tell people everything you know, including things that are not necessary for the actual story that you're trying to tell. So, in this study, the researchers found that by asking the listeners to rate stories by complexity rather than on how truthful they seem to be, uh, that ranking did much better to expose liars or to expose lies. So, I, I think that's pretty brilliant. Uh, of course, it wasn't perfect. These, in these tests, the scores were between 60, about 60 to 80% success. So, it didn't catch everything. But it still seems much better than any other method that I've heard about. So that, let's see if that will come. If that, first of all, if it can be replicated, but also then if it can be put to practical use somehow. And practical use is very important. <laughs> and that is something that, of course, found a big echo during the pandemic. And that was, of course science and its practical use. (laughs) 
And that if that is not the best segue you have ever heard, then <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think we can all agree that scientists had an important role during the pandemic. And I'm, of course, talking about COVID-19. And now research also proves that point. Because research by the Milner Center for Evolution at the University of Bath proves that scientists were very important and that trust in scientists also increased since the pandemic. Not surprisingly, <laughs> people that didn't trust in science before trusted scientists even less. Mm -hmm. But most people that were neutral or trusted scientists already trusted them a little more or trusted them then. <laughs> so, yeah. so this investigation tracked the same people. Mm -hmm. So they, you see if they had increased or decreased mm -hmm. their trust in yeah. science and scientists. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, they used um, data from a survey and they had 2000 adults from UK. Mm -hmm. and um, asked whether their trust had gone up, down, or stayed the same. So it wasn't that they'd asked before and after. Okay, so um, they, they asked, asked have them, your trust yes. increased? Okay. So it's, mm -hmm. it of course, a bit biased then, because you don't have a starting point and, and an after point, so to say. But it's still something we can see that a third of people said that their trust uh, went up. And also something they saw that when, for example, Pfizer, a company that we all know from also making COVID-19 vaccines, seemed more trustworthy or more positive to people than another company, uh, for example, GlaxoSmithKline, which was not mm -hmm. associated with the COVID-19 vaccine. That can, of course, also be because people know the name. Yeah, but Glaxo, that's, they're usually called JSK, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And uh, they are very well known, mm -hmm. so people should have heard of them yeah. before. Yeah, and as I said, people that already held a negative view became more negative. And if people trusted more, so the increased trust also usually led to take the COVID-19 vaccine. And that's why we are basically asking that question. It's not because we're like, oh, yeah, we just want to know if people trust scientists. No, we want to know what it like, which choices are dependent on that. And also, people that didn't want to get vaccinated reported a decline in trust. So, look, this trust in scientists yeah. is definitely uh, related to taking the vaccine or not. And that's that's what makes it important. Because taking the vaccine is a good, an important way and thing how to tackle a pandemic and also future pandemics. And that's why science communication is so important. And that's why trust in scientists is important. But of course, as we know, not blind trust. Correct. Always stay skeptical, even in your scientists. <laughs> Support yes. the evidence, not the humans. Yeah. And, and the common, I mean, the best way to look at it is that you, you should go where the consensus mm -hmm. is. Where do, what do the most scientists or experts say that's more likely to be true than one nut job or even your mm -hmm. own brilliant thinking? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have read an article in The Guardian about AI and what effects it may have on internet scams. More specifically, this was about phishing email, and that is not about going phishing. It's about phishing with PH, where you try to extract sensitive information from the receiver by asking them to reply or click the link or whatever. Uh, you know... Annika mm -hmm. and everybody's listening that these emails that you get very often, too often, they are almost always misspelled and full of stupid grammar mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
So this expert, who is called Corey Thomas, and he is the chief executive of Rapid7, which is a US cybersecurity firm. Anyway, this guy, he says that now when we have ChatGPT and other AI tools to help write these scam emails, there will be much less errors in them. And he says that this will make it harder to spot them. So he see this, sees this as a problem. So I don't doubt that AI is going to be used for nefarious purposes. If I can use AI to help me in my endeavors, I'm certain that crooks and fraudsters can do so as well. And perhaps with uh, ChatGPT, composing these phishing emails will be different. But I have always thought and heard that these emails are supposed to be poorly designed. They are deliberately targeting people who are perhaps not well-educated or, I don't know, maybe they're targeting a certain kind of people and they don't want, quote-unquote, smart people to respond because they know they will not fool these smarter people in the next step. You, 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 want, you want to reach people on the phone and have them do things, maybe help them log into your bank account and, and stuff like that. And so you're targeting a certain kind of people that they believe are easier to fool. Now, maybe what I've heard is a myth, and maybe it's not why all these emails are so badly composed. Maybe all scammers are just terrible writers who've never learned to use a spell checker. <laughs> but I wonder, in this case, I wonder, this is a, an expert, right, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. and he's talking from a cybersecurity firm, with, and it sounds all very impressive. But I, I don't think he is quite right in this. I, I think these emails are supposed to be bad. And maybe you can make AI help you composing really shitty letters as well. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think that's the problem, that they will now look legitimate. And I've got an update in regards to a... A court case again. <laughs> yes, we're talking about court oh, case again. <laughs> this is a legal episode uh, for Annika. The legal episode. <laughs> yeah. There is a Heilpraktiker, a healing practitioner, that actually did a very horrible thing, as I want to say. She sold a mix of water, sugar, amino acids, and proteins for 5,900 euro per package to a patient. This patient stopped her chemotherapy for that and oh. died in July 2019. And luckily then people took her to court. Also yeah. told her she can't be a healing practitioner anymore. And we, we talked about that before. And the problem was that the court case was, um, it, it was really uh, like almost dragging a rope there and back, you know. <laughs> the defense always put in new orders, were like, no, you can't do that. They even called it a toxic atmosphere. And um, now it actually seems that the actual judgment will be called out in May. So it's finally coming to an end. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It, it could happen that she will actually has to go into jail because they said she she seemed very without empathy. And of course, because the medicine in air quotes that she gave the patient was nothing but water and sugar. Yeah. And also what they also found really, really bad is that she didn't even believe in that. So, yeah, I well, think that's really something that we can let a court has to has to look into if someone thought it would help. 
like just ethically if if you think it helps it's less bad than if you know it's not helping yeah yeah I, I, you're always responsible mm -hmm. I, i think you know it's so, responsible but, yes but if you and it's very hard to look into somebody's head and say mm -hmm. do you really believe mm -hmm. in this but if it's apparent that this was a fraud mm -hmm. and this person got this lady off the chemotherapy mm -hmm. that's that's manslaughter yes, yes. at mm -hmm. least Yeah, so we'll see what happens in May then, and um, also keeping you updated there. <laughs> okay, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of updates. <laughs> okay, so it's time for another Pontus Pokes the Politicians. I have done a few of those. It seems to be the same party all the time. I wonder why that is. It is, of course, about the Sweden Democrats in Sweden. Uh, they are also called SD for short. One of the problems that they have, or many of them have, is that they believe in conspiracy theories and other nonsense. As you may be aware, the Sweden Democrats are not in power, but the sitting minority coalition depends on the support of SD to remain in power. So they do have, inofficially, they have power. Their spokesperson on economics is called Oskar Sjöstedt, and I expect all of you to be able to spell that perfectly. Sjöstedt. <laughs> that will there'll be an exam mm -hmm. later on. Uh, <laughs> but one of the many problems with SD is their tendency to deny or at least downplay climate change. So mm. we go back to talk mm -hmm. about climate change. They want lower taxes on petrol. They don't like green energy. And this guy, Sjöstedt, His latest shenanigans now is that he wants not just to stop new wind turbines to be built, he wants to remove all the existing ones as well, because he says they are dangerous to humans, and people who live near them are in danger of getting ill from the sound of them. We, this is such an old trope, we've heard about this so many times before, there is no ill effects from wind turbines. Of course, you could be annoyed at the sound. That is true. But if you live like 500 meters or more away from them, there there, it's not a problem. But there's a lot of myths about... It's almost like the 5G oh, yeah. uh, ideas that it's sort of microwaves or macrowaves or whatever kind of things that are affecting your psyche or your body when you sleep and all of that. And he seems to buy in on all of that. If he absolutely wants to find problems with wind turbines. There are a few, actually. He could have mentioned birds and bats, because wind turbines can be a real problem for them. But no, he went with the old conspiratorial nonsense instead, and that is perhaps because he doesn't really care for wildlife anyway. Who does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we do, yeah. We do, yes. <laughs> And and I, the birds and the bats thing, that is a legitimate mm -hmm. thing, I believe. And there should be measures taken to minimize mm -hmm. that problem. But don't come with to me with all that uh, mm -hmm. nonsense about uh, secret waves oh, or yeah. things affecting you without your knowing it and things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I also think like um, you just also have to look at the range of things and I don't even mean the range of electro smog and <laughs> secret waves. No, there's no smog involved I'm, here. I'm thinking about if we destroy the planet then there's no there we don't really have to be concerned about birds and bats anymore anyways. Good point. Good point. So the point is really that he's very much against doing something for the climate. He wants to burn his petrol, he wants to be able to travel to uh, wherever on mm -hmm. his airplanes and yeah. stuff. 
and he thinks everything mm -hmm. else it's just a myth. So again, they believe what they want yeah. to believe and they don't listen to experts, they mm -hmm. don't listen to the science. And can you imagine removing all the wind turbines in Sweden at this point? No, that's that's uh, such a stupid yeah. idea that I, it's, I'm baffled yeah. that he even said it out loud. Even if you ignore that the wind turbines are part of the network, so like that the electricity would need to come from something else then, even if you ignore that, then it's a lot of destruction of the environment to just get these out and, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. build down and stuff. So, mm -mm. Absolutely nuts. Talking about nuts, <laughs> yes. I think we're done with the news now and I think we should find out who has been really wrong lately. Yeah, so there has been an idea announced that in the UK they want to crack down on grooming gangs. They want to form a task force with specialist officers uh, supported by the National Crime Agency, help local forces. They also, like, so far so good. We, like, no one mm. or most people don't like uh, crimes connected with children, and um, those who do like it are criminal. You might think, you're like, why, why is that a really wrong item? Well, because they also want to use ethnicity data to assist the investigations. And they oh. also said, Stella Braverman said that British Pakistani men would be in grooming gangs and that people wouldn't say that because they are afraid of being labeled racist. And she also said that these men would be totally at odds with British values and would regard women in a demeaning and illegitimate way. And behaving, and I'm quoting here, um, behaving in an outdated and frankly heinous way. So what she's saying is really it's time to be a little bit more racist yes. and go after the Pakistanis. Exactly. And here's the thing. Great. That an official report by the Home Office in 2020 concluded that most child sexual abuse gangs are made up of white men under the age of 30. Here you got it. <laughs> so Yeah, right. And that's where you see that it's probably really easy, and I'm not apologizing for that, but uh, here you can see how easy you can slip into racism and really horrible racism at that and really like stereotypical criminalizing of innocent people and also how quick that happened, you know, mm. without any evidence. It's just like... And, and of course... The far right is jumping on that. It's like, yeah, it's an Asian problem. It, it's Asian grooming gangs. It's Pakistani grooming gangs. They're having a field day, you know? Yeah. Even if it would be true, which it isn't, then it's still not a population. It's individuals that are criminal. But it's not true. Yeah. This report shows that it's mostly white men under the age of 30. So for being racist... And not supporting the evidence at the same time, but basically doing what you think in your racist mind is right. Zella Braverman and her supporters <laughs> receive this week's prize for being racist and really wrong. Yeah, and it's it's really, really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Rishi Sunak mm -hmm. came out, the prime minister, and he supported this full-heartedly. And he's from Punjab. Or he is not. His parents are. So the right doesn't even care to be at all consistent. They just go with what they think is populistic. So 
here's a guy, he's from that area of the world, or his parents are, and he's just supporting it. So, yeah, of course, it's all the Pakistanis. Fucking yeah, idiot. it's like, whoa. Yeah, because I think he's too rich to consider himself not white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is just like a, a wasp's nest, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah. But really wrong award. Here you have it. <laughs> right. Please don't be racist. Please keep in mind what human rights are. Yeah. yeah. And go with the go science. With the if science. there's a specific yes. group of people who tend to do certain crimes, like white males, then go after yes, them. Yes, go after the white men, please. <laughs> if you want to be racist, at least do it right. <laughs> but not right as in politically right. But uh, I think that concludes our show. So mm-hmm. thank you, Pontus, for being here with me. <laughs> But, of course, I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And this week's quote is by the podcast friend (laughs) and German skeptic and physicist and author Holm Hümmler. Holm, he's been on the show. Mm -hmm. Several times, actually. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's he's a, I would say, a well-known German skeptic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We met him in Vienna Mm -hmm. last year. I met him at Skepcon several times, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I don't want to brag. I just want to read out the quote that he gave in a certain Skeptical Inquirer interview. (coughs) Hint, hint. Um, (laughs) We Uh can put the link in the show notes to that if anyone is interested in reading that. that. And the quote is, I don't want to argue with the believers. I want to be there for the people who hear those claims, but are not part of the belief system yet or who have been part of it and have started asking questions, end quote. Ah, good quote. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's exactly what we what we want to do, because believers very rarely, uh, like, re- believers often double down. <laughs> and you yeah. want to be for, there for those that read what you're writing and forming their opinion by that. That's why it's always mm. so important um, what Natalie Grams always used to say is that you stay civil in internet discussions, for example. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Natalie Grams was the former homeopath that uh, switched sides, if you will, and did quite a lot mm-hmm. of good work, fantastic work, to spread the scientific uh, mm-hmm. side of what homeopathy yeah. really is. Within information network homeopathy and give you a pee. Of course. So, yes. yeah, uh, shout out to right. them, of course, too. You're doing amazing work, mm-hmm. Information Network Homeopathy. But now I really want to stop giving uh, shout outs and uh, stop this episode because it has been a round one, I think. Thank you, Pontus, for doing this with me. And thanks to our listeners for coming back week after week and for listening. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, do. Tschüss. Wieslat. this has been your esp experience the show is produced and recorded by the esp.eu join us again next time but until then please send your feedback comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. 
If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Bloody hell, I haven't done my research. I'm lucky. <laughs> I, I, it's good that I, I caught myself. Good street I, I, teacher. <laughs> Stay skeptical. <laughs> Stay skeptical, especially about your own work, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I don't think there's mm. Everness, Everness, blah, blah. Ever, <laughs> Everness, Everness, Everest, that's another mountain. Another mountain. <laughs> Was usually because, um, no, sorry, <laughs> my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> why the... I, I would lend you my brain, <laughs> yeah. but I'm using it. So. Sorry, yeah, that's good. Ethnicity, <laughs> God, Ethnicity. my brain is really Ethnicity. bad today. <laughs>